0: The Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. For the Lord the Lord in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through the Word, and without it, not one thing came into being. What has come into being? The wind was. What has come into being in the Word was life, and the light was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, for he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. The light was in the world, and the world came to be through it. Yet the world did not know it. The word came like, to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. To all who received, who believed in the power was given ch- became children of God, and who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh, or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen glory, the glory as of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. Jesus testified and cried out. This was he whom I said, He who comes after me, ranks ahead of me because he was before me. From his fullness we all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. It is God, the only Son, who is close to the Father's heart? Who has made God known? The Gospel of our Lord.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I dare any of the rest of you to try to read that passage I imagine that's just the beginning. Of, you know, John Gospel. It begins worse, way worse, yeah. as it goes, and it's delivered. It's um, the language of John's Gospel is intended to be kind of this spiral disorienting thing that sort of sets you on your ear, at which point John's gospel says, now we got your attention, now we can start talking about the divine. A couple of things about the gospel passage that that he was (laughs) struggling with there. Um, One is, interestingly enough, just as a sideline, John is mentioned. And, of course, you think of John as what? The Baptist. The Baptist, but guess what? Uh, In the Gospel of John, he's never identified as Baptist. Uh, In fact, he's not even a forerunner of Jesus, as described in some of the other uh, gospel traditions. Uh, This figure, John, serves only as a witness to what the prologue describes as the light, the word, logos, um, the presence of God uh, in flesh. And so it's a whole different story going on here. And we're gonna talk about that a little bit. And uh, the other little piece that uh, got my attention was uh, when it said that um, no one has seen God. That's not true. There were all kinds of characters in the Hebrew scriptures that uh, beheld God, sometimes from the front and sometimes from the backside. But there they are, and yet where this thing's coming from is um, there was also a tradition right next to that that if you saw the face of God, you're gone. You know, you just disintegrate or something. Uh, as an allusion to the power of God. And one of the ways that that evolved uh, through the Christian tradition starting in the first couple of centuries of the Common Era is that God is completely and totally separate from us. And then, by the Middle Ages, it became um, a, a separation of the sacred and the profane or the sacred and the secular certain things are sacred, church buildings are sacred, this is where you meet God, everywhere else is, you know, secular or uh, profane. Uh, or, we talk about this, the physical realm and the realm of spirit are completely separate, right? And we spent probably the last 1,600 years from the time that uh, Christianity was established as the religion of the empire uh, by imperial Rome, we have been going down that rabbit hole. And and as a result of that, we miss the deep structure of, of this language in the Gospel of John, and we miss the deep structure of the life of Jesus, the teachings of Jesus, And the whole point of uh, death and resurrection as it's portrayed uh, in the various gospel traditions, we miss it completely because we've got it in our heads that there's a separation between that which is sacred and that which is profane. Well, I've got some good news for you. In the Episcopal tradition, in the Anglican tradition, we hunger down around this thing called Incarnation, if you haven't heard that word before. I've been I've been reading this book by a wonderful author named Erin Morgenstern. Her first book was called The Night Circus. And I swear that the women of this congregation introduced me to her as an author. It's a wonderful story if you haven't read it well. Her latest is called the Starless Sea, and it's wonderfully weird. (laughs) Um, And at one point there's a scene where a couple of people who have been on this great adventure are stepping uh, over the threshold of of a house, walking into the house, and they look above the doorway, and they see a sign that says, as above, so below. As above, so below. And that is really the heart of our understanding of incarnation. Again, the life, the teachings, the death, the resurrection, and then then the the alternate version of all that found in the Gospel of John, beginning with the prologue, all say there is no separation between the sacred and the profane. There is no such thing. There is no separation between sacred and secular. There is no separation between the physical realm and the realm of spirit because the presence of God pervades all things, and oh wait for it, all people, all of humanity. And so while we're busy with you know looking for who's in who's out who's right who's wrong who's got it who doesn't we are missing the deeper structure of our tradition and please don't go down the rabbit hole of thinking that oh jesus shows up now we have incarnation yay if you read if you actually read the bible the hebrew scriptures you'll discover that incarnation is embedded deeply In the entire Bible. And that Jesus becomes sort of the next embodiment, no pardon intended, uh, or the next um, big example of the way in which the presence of God is enfleshed. And uh, one of my favorite translations of that line, the word became flesh and pitched a tent. and moved into the neighborhood. That's that's incarnation. And it doesn't specify which neighborhood. Because it God has moved into all neighborhoods where all humanity and all creation dwells. It, it behooves us to to sort of latch onto this and to wrestle As counterintuitive as this sounds, uh, it behooves us, I think, to wrestle with this deeper structure of our tradition. And let me give you a little hook for that. Brian, if you would do me a huge favor and go back to our version of the Shema. Does anybody know what the Shema is from the Hebrew Scriptures? Besides Brian, he knows the Shema is found, um, uh, most noticeably, in the book of Deuteronomy. It's found in other places in the Hebrew Scriptures. And it's the language, uh, the Lord... Um,
0: uh, it just went right out of my brain,
1: Christy. The Lord is one. The Lord is one. Yes. And that's as that's, that's good of we get. So what we use at the 10 o'clock service at the beginning of every liturgy when we gather, it's a feminist version of the Shema. And it starts, go back one more screen, God, my brain is just cooked. There it is. The infinite and the infinite are one. Trust that union with your whole heart, doubt, and all. This is powerful language. Do anybody remember where we got this from? I don't even know if you remember. Um,
0: it
1: was a... One of the books been, you were reading yeah. at the time, it was, I forget, was... Um, yeah. It was an article that was presented to us as some uh, feminist theologian. I don't remember the author of it, but it was given to us by Liz nether Oh. Do you remember Liz? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. And here's, I mean, here's some irony for you. Uh, Liz was, uh, she served on vestry. She was senior warden for a couple of years. And uh, and she went off a mess. And in the midst of yet another one of our fun, little controversies early in my tenure here at St. Peter's, she ended up going up uh, by Sorenton's on the banks of the Carson River, and she put a bullet in her head and killed herself, and just rocked the congregation to no end. And Liz was the one that brought this to our attention and said, is this just the coolest thing or what? And our response was, yeah, it is and we have been using it ever since, 22, 23 years now, something like that. This is powerful language, folks, because it challenges all of those notions that many of us grew up with. Again, those separations, that, that comfortable dualism that we've been raised with, that the sacred and the profane are separated, sacred and secular, that the physical realm and the realm of spirit you know, have nothing to do with each other, which is completely antithetical to the, to the gospel tradition and to the stories that are found uh, in the scriptures, both the Hebrew and the Christian scriptures. Completely the opposite. Um, and at, at one point, I, I think uh, in the heat of the moment, I refer to them, all those ideas as fake Christianity. Do you remember that? Some of you that were here there is. Um, This is the deeper structure of our tradition, that the intimate and the infinite are one. There is no separation between the sacred and the secular. There is no separation between the physical realm and the realm of spirit. And oh, there is no separation between the presence of God and us and the rest of humanity and all of creation, past, present, and future. And so every Sunday when we gather, we hear this version of the Shema and the invitation to trust that union with our whole heart. Doubt and awe. And this is the other piece of... The Gospel of John that has become or, or became really problematic for people because we started landing on the language of belief, those who believe, God to believe. and you know, we started pounding that into the sand. You have to believe a certain way, uh, hang out with a certain kind of people with the right clothes and shoes and, you know, the code language and the decoder ring and all that fun stuff. And as long as we keep landing on that language, which, by the way, is not the core of the Gospel of John, nor is it the core of the Gospel tradition or the teachings of Jesus. Nowhere in any of the Gospels does Jesus say, worship me or believe in me. He says On to, to wrap our brains and our hearts around the core of our tradition. All are one. We live in union with the divine. Now, when we're waking up in a cold sweat at 2.30 in the morning because we had some weird dream or maybe we didn't have a dream we are just waking up in a cold sweat at 2.30 in the morning, it's not always easy to remember this. Um, That that God is somehow present for when we're waking up in the morning at some more appropriate hour, thinking about all the things we have to do today that are never going to get done, and uh, um, that, that we live unendingly